Uh, well, thanks for joining us this morning uh, for a n- bit of a new series. Not just a bit, it is. You've heard the themes throughout. You're gonna, this will be a third time this morning already. You'll hear from Isaiah 2. Uh, so I'm glad for that because maybe by the end we might remember something from it. Uh, if you hear it enough, you go, oh yeah, that's, that's the passage. Um, I just want to say uh, for those of you who are new, welcome to our church. This is Genesis Community Church. We're very glad that you've uh, considered worshiping with us this morning and made this a spot where you'll spend a little bit of time. Uh, so love this church, love these people. We have been, just so you know, if you have that old church center app, you've been registering on Sundays for coming indoor-outdoor. Uh, we kind of know now where that lands most days. And so uh, now we have a cold, rainy day. And so on a cold, rainy day, most of the outdoorers don't come. Uh, so they don't just flow in here. So now that we kind of have an idea what that is, uh, we're not going to require, not that requiring did anything, really, uh, but we're not going to require registration for coming weeks because we kind of know what to expect. So uh, same things will apply that if you're in here, mask up. Uh, my mentor back in the day, pastors in another town, he just goes, mask up and move on is the way that he would put it. Like, let's just go. Uh, so same things apply in here. Uh, mask as you're in, uh, seated for the sermon, all good. Can take it off. You're outdoors. We don't, we don't even know what's going on out there most of the time. I think there's grills, um, yeah, frisbees, footballs, baseballs, basketballs, uh, rocks, just things that get thrown. So, you know, if you want to just go party hard, that's your spot. Um, we'll give a little more instruction on the meal that's coming up after the service toward the end. Uh, but right now, we wanted to take a bit of a pause from our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, and the reason to pause it is because we are hitting a theme for our year, uh, Christmas time, which people get really excited about. I don't know how many Christmas movies you've watched, but uh, we've already done Santa Claus 1 and 2, and we got more to come. So we've kind of already started our flow to, to do that, but nothing is as important, even though Christmas movies are cool, nothing is important as uh, uh, uniting our hearts around the scriptures and what they say for how we are to live and the kind of people that we're to be. So... Third time this morning, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Just so you know, Isaiah is a prophet, um, and as a prophet, he wrote about 700 years prior to the arrival of Jesus into this world, so about 700 years prior, uh, and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah really talk about judgment that's going to come and the captivity that'll come, and then the next 27 chapters of Isaiah uh, 40 through the end, talk about blessing that will come. And so uh, Isaiah, I think I've said before, but some people refer to it kind of as like the fifth gospel because there's so much of Isaiah uh, that is messianic, has that the expectation of the Messiah within it. And so, so the Messiah is just kind of baked in throughout Isaiah. And that's why so many of our passages at Christmas time or Advent season, depending on what tradition you grew up with, come from Isaiah. We read from Isaiah, we're going to do it this week. I'll be preaching from Isaiah next week, uh, and we'll flip into the New Testament a bit after that. But Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall flow, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we trust you today in your good character and in the hope that we share as a people in what your Son has done, what he will do. So this morning we need to hear what you have to say, so be gracious with us as we are so often in our minds and our hearts distracted and hurried, exhausted, but at the same time we're still longing. And meet those longings this morning for us, Lord, as we reach into this passage and see what you would have for us. Guide us as we walk in the light of the Lord. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning we get to talk about a series called A Thrill of Hope. That's just from the song. We have one Hope Sunday, and then we'll go through the other themes of Advent uh, as we go. So hope is the theme for this morning, and it's a good thing for all of us. Hope changes people. Now, this is like my one time I get to use Shawshank Redemption as my movie quote, um, so just bear with me. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like a pastor repertoire in seminary they give you, and they're like, okay, Braveheart, Shawshank. Like, they give you like three movies that you can choose from, <clears throat> and you just kind of pick and go, here's how you, you know, talk about Jesus from this. So Shawshank Redemption, it's now dating you to use the movie like that. Like, I don't know what the, new, the equivalent would be, but there doesn't need to be an equivalent because it's just that good of a movie. So you know two of the main characters, Andy and Red, if you're familiar with the movie. If you're not, two of the main characters are Andy and Red. And they have a disagreement about Hope. Stuck in prison, Red thinks that Hope is dangerous. Whereas Andy, talking about music of all things, feels that he needs to have music in order to remind him that there's more than just the prison. He was always kind of looking out beyond it. Whereas Red had gotten accustomed to what he saw. And Red, when he says, Andy says, it gives me hope. Red responds with, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Well, Andy, of course, disagrees with this idea. And the whole movie really revolves around that idea of hope. The anticipation of something better than what currently is. The longing for and the living and orienting of your life around something better than what is. All of us, all of us hope. We might hope in something or in someone. Kids, when you have the hope that Christmas is around the corner, you might start to change your attitude. The way that you act. Parents know, hey, if you're good, I mean, I know we're all Christians, but we still do it. Like, if you work hard, I'll reward you. Like, we know. Um, uh, like, we'll, we'll, if you just be good, for goodness sake, just be good. 
you know, so we kind of all get our attitudes a little different. We change our expectation. We change some of our habits. We change where we spend time. We often change the music that we listen to. Anybody listen to Christmas music already? Have you anybody ever started it? Yeah, yeah. Joe has. Yeah, okay, there we go. Thank you so much for being honest. This side of the room's like, well, I'm not going to say it. This side of the room knows what's up. So we kind of already start getting into a different flow, different expectation, different habits, different things. We got garland on the stage. Like we do all kinds of stuff to start to orient us around the season. When your birthday's around the corner, you do the same thing. Start to live differently, start to plan differently, start to think differently, start to spend differently. In our house and probably yours, you have countdowns. Counting down the days to a holiday, to a birthday, to a vacation, to family visiting, to family leaving, Whatever it might be, we're counting down the days. I can't wait until this happens. And our hope is often as strong, felt as strongly, as we believe the thing coming to be true. So, so we generally know, just kind of like clockwork, certain days on the calendar. However... If you're chronically late to things, I don't hold out a lot of hope that you'll be there on time. Why? Because I'm just disappointing myself every time. But if I can set my clock by your arrival time, then I know. And if that time doesn't come, something in me starts to change. Where I go, I, I, this doesn't usually happen. I had expected this and looked towards this and planned on this and now it's not here. He's not here, she's not here, they're not here. What's gone on? So our hope and the way that we live because of it is only going to be as strong as we perceive the event to be true, to come to pass. So then, you've already heard, Advent means arrival. Heard Johnny say it, you heard Lindsay say it, Advent means arrival, the coming, and, and we get to, when we talk about Advent, we talk about kind of this foot in two worlds way of living. We know that Jesus has come. And so it's not as if we can pretend he hasn't. You just go, man, what would it have been like if? Like, like we know he's come, and we have the fuller revelation of the scriptures, right? That it's progressively revealed, and we see now the Messiah, and we see his death and burial and resurrection. And so it's not just about celebrating his birth, because that started something that's still coming. And so when we talk about Advent, we talk about both of those themes, the coming of the Messiah into the world and what that meant, but also the return of that Messiah to the world, both of those things. Because many of the passages of Scripture that talk about the Messiah talk about things that haven't happened yet. They talk about events and peace and hope and joy and promise. They talk about life as life has yet to be experienced. And so we live firmly in what has gone on and what we see in the Word, but we also know God's doing more. More is to come. So today we get to talk about how hope in the future can change us even now. How hope in the future, what is to come, can change us even now. Talking about Advent 
And I hope these are like, for us, living between the two Advents, the first coming and the second coming, my hope for us during this month is that at least in this space, we can be a little different for 75 minutes or an hour and a half. We can just be a little different as we think. We can expect a little differently. We can feel differently than we might when we're just kind of out in the world, hurried and harried by all that is going on. And so I think we all need it. We all need reminders, and we want this series to be that, a reminder of the goodness of God and some of the anchor emotions and, and expectations that we as believers should have who walk in relationship with Jesus. So that's what we want this to be. Just kind of a time to come in and breathe and remember the work of Jesus and what we have because of that. So Isaiah chapter 2, that's where we'll be, where he speaks to Israel. Isaiah is prophesying to the nation about what will be. And Isaiah has this way of talking about what will be. Even when he then changes gears and talks about what, what is. And so there's this kind of back and forth. Next week we'll see it again. Well, this week he talks about what will be. But then you go, well, that's not what is. And what will be is great, but what is for the nation of Israel at that time is not great. It's oppression. It's Assyria. They're coming, like, like the northern kingdoms getting taken. Sometime later, the southern kingdom is going to get taken. And so, so we are marching through, and Isaiah is prophesying to people about judgment, But then as he does that, there are sprinkled throughout reminders of what will be. And they kind of serve as contrasts. But he doesn't just go, hey, just, you know, hold out, it's getting better. In fact, in today's passage, he's going to talk about what will be. And then as he gets to verse 5, he still gives this like, now let's live a certain way because we know it's going to come. Even though if you look around, it certainly doesn't feel that way. You ever been like that? It doesn't feel like things are better. Doesn't feel like things are good. Had the loneliest Thanksgiving of my life. This didn't seem great. This didn't seem good. Never before it lived like this. Many are heading into this season having lost loved ones with their lives turned upside down. Many are right now having professions that they did not start the year with. They've changed gears, they've been upended, their life has changed, their income has changed, their expectations have changed, their health has changed, their family has changed, everything has changed. And you look around and go, that just doesn't, doesn't seem great. So hope, peace, joy, love, and Jesus will be what we go through, but hope today, Isaiah 2. And he prophesies in verse 1, the word of the Lord, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, And you look at verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days. You already know it's not something that's happened yet. That the mountain of the Lord, the house of the Lord, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the latter days 
are days that still haven't happened. Has, has Isaiah 2, 2 and 3 happened, as you might have expected, where nations are flowing to God to learn from him? You might have seen it beginning that the, that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, that we all have access to God the Father through Jesus, but we don't have this world where everyone is longing to learn from God. They're all looking to him. When we lived in Dallas, uh, I think I'm pointing the right way, maybe it's that way. When we lived in Dallas, we would take the trek when we visit family here, right, up north on I-45, which is funny because it's not an interstate, right? It just kind of goes from here to Dallas then turns into 75, and you see you later. So we'd make the trek up to Dallas, and about 30 miles out, you see the skyline, especially at night. You see the green outlined building, right? So as you're driving up, about 30 miles out, you can start to see the skyline. And that, for me, was always my marker. You might have markers like that on trips that you take. Same thing as we would head east to Baton Rouge on I-10. Like after you go over the Chafalaya River Basin, you kind of go over that long bridge, there'd be this turn to like, and, and as it would open up, you would see the Capitol building. <clears throat> and so those were kind of my markers to go, we're almost there. We're almost there. But then as you get closer to that destination, you realize there's way more to it. You go, oh gosh, well, more buildings than I thought. There's more depth than I thought. Because at this distance, you go, ah, you know, I see the outline. I know we're almost there. Well, imagine prophecy is that. Whereas you read it, you go, I think I see, I think I see something out there. I know there's something coming. But then as time progresses and you get closer to it, you go, oh, no, I did see it, but I didn't think it was all of those things. And I'm, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff, wait, it has all this stuff behind it that hadn't even come yet. Like as we read, that's what we see. So this point in time, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah is speaking about a map on a destination that's hard to see, the coming of Christ into the world, the latter day, the mountain of the house. And all the nations shall flow to it. What Isaiah is saying here is that there will be a day when the nations will see God as the only true God. That there's coming a day where the nations will see God as the only true God. We don't think of, as Isaiah might have, we don't think of it in the same way. We don't think of high places and mountains. But religious temples were on high places. You'd put them up so that you could see them. And so like when Solomon did all of his idolatry and uh, he had all these wives and concubines and he would set up places of worship, he'd set them up as high places where you could go and you could see it. And so Isaiah's going, there will come a day when the mountain, right? When, when the mountain of the Lord will be the highest. and Everyone will be able to see it. We live in a day now, right, where not everyone sees it, not everyone believes it, not everyone knows it, not everyone follows it, but in the latter days, that mountain will be so high that everyone will look at it and go, of, of course, there it is, and there he is. God's mountain will be the highest. It will be seen clearly. You don't have to be 30 miles out. You might see it 100 miles out, 200 miles out, because it's evident And all the nations shall flow to it. I like the imagery of that because they're coming to it, but like water doesn't flow 
up a mountain, it flows down a mountain, but all the nations are now flowing. They're coming to the mountain to learn from God. And they're Gentile nations. Remember, when we're talking about, we think of nations, we just think of like often people groups. There's people all over the world, different language groups and culture, and we want that to be nations, and it makes sense. But as Isaiah's prophesying about nations, he's talking about Gentiles, all non-Israelites. That's what he's saying, because there's God's nation, Israel, and then there's the nations. And in this day, the nations, all of Israel's enemies, all these people who are outside of the nation of Israel are now flowing to God. But not only are they flowing to God, the highest of mountains to learn, they're actually encouraging one another. They're speaking about it. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that, we may, that he may teach us his ways. That we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the word of the Lord's coming to us and we're flowing to it and the world is learning from God. Now when we say we have our foot in both worlds or we're looking for that day, what are we able to do with the spirit inside of us and the scriptures that we have but go to God? But we still don't have that day where everyone is going and learning from him. Come, let us come, let us learn from God. Where we don't have to sit and have just kind of conversation and bickering about, what do you think this verse means? What do you think this verse means? What do you think this verse means? We just kind of go, hey, God, teach us. Teach us. And everyone's telling their friends, hey, let's go. Let's go learn from God. They want to go receive Torah, instruction. That's what that word means. Torah isn't just law, it's instruction. So the nations come to God to get instruction that they might walk rightly. Um, I'm going to talk, as we do Isaiah passages, I'll talk about, um, I just forgot his last uh, first name, but Oswald, it's Oswald's commentary. Um, and I want to say Royal Oswald, but that's because I'm thinking of Astros. It's not him. John Oswald, there we go. Uh, So he has his commentary and he would read this and he goes, just so we know, salvation is walking. That's how he would put it when he was talking about this Old Testament. Salvation is walking. It's walking with God and learning from God and being united with him and learning from him and doing the things that he said. And I do think that that, as we read the Old Testament, we get a fuller picture of what it means to be with God in the sense that very often our understanding is gotta get right with God, have faith in Jesus and you're good. Like it's kinda like one and done, move on. But Israelites had this kind of full-fledged view of walking with God, being with God, living with God. That's why James is so full of instruction about how to walk rightly with God caring about the things that God cares about and learning God's ways and and changing who we are because of it, that that is a glorious thing. And the nations are wanting to do this in Isaiah's image, his vision. 
Everyone's wanting to learn from God. Let's go into the New Testament just to a few examples of how we can see the fuller picture from Isaiah. Let's go to John 1. John 1, starting in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So as John is speaking about the incarnation of the Son, Jesus, what is he saying? The true light. What does Isaiah say in verse five? Let us walk in the light. Let us walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? By knowing the light. Jesus is the true light. And so we get to see in the incarnation, the, the light of God being the Son of God, Jesus, that we learn from Jesus that he shines and we see. But let's think about the nations learning from God and recognizing God. You might know this passage, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The nations declaring God, Jesus is God, bowing to him. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah saw it. And John speaks of it. Paul goes, it's still coming. In the name of Jesus, the knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But if you're with us in our F260, we recently finished up Revelation. So we're not done. Revelation 21, look at starting in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations, what? Walk. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations flowing to God, living in his light. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this doesn't just give a vision of what will be but how is that even accessed? Through Jesus, who is the light. He is the one that makes this true. As John goes in Revelation, not everybody will get to experience this. Not everybody will get to see this. Not everybody will get to walk like this.
Only those who are written in the book of life. Now, the really, one of the only times I hear the phrase Lamb's book of life are in those uh, like scare dramas that they would have, you know what I'm talking about? Like you'd go and you'd watch people and somebody would die and they would go to hell and then like there'd be this person sitting there. I'm not kidding, I've been to these. Like, and, and like they open, oh, is your name in the book? Right, because they're like, really trying to scare that little hell out of you. Like that's what, they, that's what they're there to do. And so the, you, you go, I don't want to be in the book, right? Like, and so you, you, you at the end, the altar call, you're like, I don't want to be that dude. Like, I don't want that. And so very often when I read the phrase, the Lamb's Book of Life, I hearken back to days where I'm afraid to not be in it. Well, I don't want to, you know, don't want to do that. I wish we'd all been ready. Whatever you want to sing. Um, But as one who follows the Lord, we need not live in fear of, oh gosh, like, is it in there? <laughs> is it in there? I gotta be sure it's in there. What do I need to do? How many times do I have to pray or confess or say, Jesus, your Lord? Like, is, is it like the more times I say it, the, the more permanent the ink gets? I just wanna be sure I get it right. It's through faith in Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus. Not through fear that we're going to miss out. I mean, if you look at Isaiah 2, or you look at John 1, Philippians 2, or Revelation 21, Don't you want that? I mean, just for, for a moment, don't you, don't you want? I know we're kind of going, well, on the map, I'm not really sure how we're going to get there. But don't you want a world where everyone's flowing to the source of life to learn and to walk and to live? And let's just assume for a moment that you might be here this morning and you're not a Christian. I ask you the same question, though, like, what are you longing for? Does strife and discord and frustration and anger and argument and bitterness, does that fill up your cup? <clears throat> Is that where you find life? <clears throat> no. But <clears throat> we recognize that we can't seem to make life work rightly then there must be some way. Isn't there someone who can do it right? Yeah. God. And us putting our faith in Jesus doesn't have us be like, well, see, we got it right. No, the reason we have to put faith in Jesus is because we got it wrong every time. Like, that's why I'm not a Christian because I'm smart. I'm a Christian because I'm dumb, sinful, I don't have, I can't, I can't create this story. I can't make it make sense. I want that world. There's a day coming, and we can see it even more clearly than Isaiah saw it. We have John, we have Philippians, we have Revelation, we have Hebrews. 
We have so much that God has continued to reveal. There's a day coming when the nations see God as the only true God. And this is cool too in verse 4, that God's rule will then be evident in the world. His rule becomes evident. The nations are flowing to learn from him, but then his rule is seen. It actually changes the way that the world works. So in verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. It's not something we think about. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore When God is ruling and his people come to him, he is also appropriately judging. And judging is not just like, well, let me see, you know, how many pieces of wheat did you have? And how many pieces, like he's not not just sitting there going, let me help you here. But like judging is bringing his ways. Even in a world of imperfect judges, what are they to do but to bring what is written to bear? to determine how it will be seen, right? Well, no, this, this is how it rules. This is the way that that ruling went, and this is what that means. Well, so when, when Jesus is judging, he's able to say, no, this is what walking with me means. This is how it looks. He's teaching us and showing us, and as we walk in it, something happens in the world, and his rule is evident He's bringing his ways. Now, the imagery of swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks doesn't really, it, it, it might not, we don't like, well, yay. Like, I, I don't know how many farmers are in the room, but probably zero. Just guessing. So we hear this imagery and we go, oh, okay, I don't really get it. But what is he saying? But that weapons of war are no longer necessary. And so you turn them into weapons of agriculture which is what the people needed to live. They were agrarians. They lived off of the land. And so it's like, you're not going to need swords anymore. Turn it into things that are useful because it's not useful anymore. Think of like, like flower power, right? Remember hippies putting like flowers in the barrels of guns? Like that's just kind of a, a similar image, isn't it? You don't need a weapon of war. Use it to hold a flower, it's much better that way. Now, some of you are going, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know what that meant. It's just an illustration. Okay? <laughs> but, but can you imagine a day when there aren't wars? I mean, we can't even get through Thanksgiving without a war. The table. It might be covert and passive-aggressive, but it's there. We can't make, th- make it through a meal. Or maybe we make it through the meal, but we certainly don't make it through the drive home. Did you hear what they said? Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. Did you see that? This is the what significant other they've had. All the things that we start to say and feel and do, all stored up within us. We'll multiply that amongst nations. that there are parts of this world that stay on the ready. 
should war be declared. That even our country has servicemen and women who are ready and prepared at this moment should something happen. It's hard to think of a world without war, without conflict, without disagreement. And this is why I say when we read these passages, there's so many things that haven't happened yet. We don't need to go, oh yeah, Jesus did that, done. I'm like, that's not done. That world has, is not done. It's begun, but it hasn't finished. So the nations flow to God and God's rule is evident in the world through this life of peace. We'll talk more about peace next week. So where does it leave us? We talked about hope and how that should change us now. And like all that really makes me do is go, well, isn't that nice? Just want to die faster now. Like that, that just like, let's just go ahead and, and not have to do another one of these frustrating COVID years. Let's not have to do another one of these like, you know, family doesn't like each other, another one of these stressors, another potential like global war. I don't want any of that. Let's just go ahead and be done with life and then wait for the return of Jesus. I'll get my new body and things will be okay. And that's kind of like, that's like the cynical response that we might make. Like, oh yeah, let's just, we don't need that anymore. Let's just go ahead and do this. I don't think that's what Isaiah had in mind, though, and you can see that in verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Israel at this time was not following God as they should, even as they knew, and even as he had revealed And so in verse 5, what does Isaiah do but stimulate current living based on future life? Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's a now thing. It's not like, hey, come, let's sit around and wait for him to get here. That's now. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. That hope motivates us to walk in God's ways. Israel was exhorted to do this. Show the nations what it's like to have access to God. Show them what it's like to be in a relationship with him. Live like that. Though they, so often as we do, failed. But still for us, the church, the people of God, we read what Isaiah is asking of commanding of, exhorting Israel to do, I think it would be the same for us. Jesus is still doing work. And there's this world that is coming that is glorious. Let us walk in his ways. Like, why start then when you can get the party started now? That's the, that's the part I think we struggle with. It's like we just kind of go, oh, I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to work out. You know, like, so we'll just wait. And I hope it's going to be nice. And Isaiah is saying, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for this. It's not going to be perfect. But don't just sit on your hands. You get to walk with God. So walk. 
What are some ways that we can do this? Well, one, we can walk upright. Upright. And I mean this with purity. Pure heart. Pure thoughts. That when we interact with people, they can trust us. That we can be kind and gentle with them. This is a good thing to do. Why? Because it reflects the character of our God. Our anger and our frustration and our passive aggressiveness and all the ways that we interact or get bugged, they don't reflect the character of our God. That's not walking in his ways. That's walking in the world's ways. We're good at that. I got nominated for the Oscar for it. Walking in the Lord's ways. Because you know what's coming. You know what he's going to do. We should walk joyfully. Joyfully. Have you ever heard the phrase, we're almost home? You're almost home. And it just changes something in you. You're almost home. I haven't traveled outside of the country many times, but, you know, when you do and you come back, you give them your passport. You know, they look at you. How was your trip, Mr. Googer, whatever they say. Don't know who this person is. They stamp your passport. What do they say? Welcome home. And I'm not even home yet, right? Like, in the sense, like, I, I still have to, like, find all my stuff, load it up, get home, make the drive, whatever else, unpack, do all the laundry. Well, yeah, Courtney's great at laundry. Um, and she's, I love you, Courtney. She's right there on the camera. Do all the stuff, unpack, have the terrible, like, oh gosh, what are we going to do tomorrow? Because then you're exhausted. But like when somebody says to me, welcome home, I'm just like, this is awesome. Like I'll tear up. You kidding me? I'm home. Right, but like when we read Isaiah 2 and we see that Jesus came into this world and we read Revelation 21, what do we hear? You're almost home. You're almost home. And everything changes when you do that, right? When you make that turn on I-10 and you see the Capitol building and you go, I don't care how tired I was five minutes ago. Like, I know what's coming. I'm almost home. We have those signposts and we can see it. I'm not a doomsday prophesier. I know you guys wish I were. I can't pick dates. I can't get my chart out here and go, well, you know, by my calculations, it's going to be whatever, right? Sooner than it was. Sooner than it was. You're almost home. So we can be joyful about it. And we should walk confidently. Remember what we said at the beginning, our hope is only as strong as that which we believe is true. If we don't believe it to be true, we don't really change much about what we do. If you say you'll be there at one, I know you're not going to get there until three, I'm not going to be ready at one. Probably won't be ready at three. I'm not hoping in that. When Jesus says, I'm returning and I'm bringing my reward with me, all of our ears should go, what, what? What? Okay. I'm ready. It should make whatever 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years of life we have left in this world 
being all about seeing the nations flow to God. Bringing more along. Don't you want this? Don't you want to see this? Don't you want to have this? It's there for you. Pointing people to the returning Lord Jesus and the life that they can have in him. So hope isn't dangerous, as our friend Red would say. In fact, the movie ends and Andy gives his great response, you might remember, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. And God's good. He's good. We hope in him, we can take it to the bank. Everything else, it's worth the coffee you picked up on the way here. But if it's from him, it's worth everything. We have hope comes from God we can be motivated by it so let us Genesis Community Church walk in the light of God's salvation in hope